Let's ask God to help us understand his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather in this warm place to hear your word. Uh, We wonder that you, the true and living God, uh, should speak to us, yet you have, through the prophets and finally through your Son. Uh, We pray in your mercy uh, you would give us hearts to understand and believe what you are saying to us. Help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly uh, to the honour of Jesus and help us to receive it with faith so that we would honour him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, as you heard in the reading, is an exhortation and encouragement to the nation Israel as they prepare to enter the land of promise to love the Lord their God, to recognise that their life and peace and prosperity is found in loving God, found in choosing every day to love God. Now that may not be the way you have thought about your life, that it's found in loving the true and living God. Uh, You might have conceived your life in terms of loving other people or things, your family, your work, your sport, or perhaps just of doing your duty. And even if you're a believer in Jesus, you might be uncomfortable with the language, uncomfortable to talk about your life in terms of a life lived to love God. Perhaps because you associate that language with a kind of soppy Christian sentimentality. Or you are embarrassed to talk that way because before friends who deny the possibility of loving God because they think he is unknowable or unreal. Or perhaps you don't speak of your life as lived to love God, found in loving God, because, well, you sense it does not ring true of you. Yet Deuteronomy is a word from God for us, calling us also to live a life of loving the Lord, our God. To understand why that's so, to understand both this focus here on loving God and why this is a word for us today as followers of Jesus, to be able to receive Deuteronomy 11's encouragement to love God and keep on loving God, to find life in loving God, we need to put this passage in its context. Now, one of the sad outcomes of breaking down a book into passages to preach on week by week, especially when it's a big book rich in ideas, is that you can lose track of the way the message of the book is developing and therefore where each Sunday's passage fits in. So let's get back into the flow of the book and remember where we are in Deuteronomy 11 and how we got here. So firstly, let's recall Israel's physical location as they listen to Moses. They're on the east side of the River Jordan in the plains of Moab on the border of the land of promise. They're at the end of 40 years of wandering through the wilderness after their liberation from Egypt and they're about to enter this land of promise, this land that they've been journeying to for all those years. And secondly... Let's remember where chapter 11 fits into what is Moses' second speech in Deuteronomy. Moses has been delivering this second speech since chapter 5, verse 1, and it's going to run all the way through to the end of chapter 26. And it has two parts. Chapter 5, verse 1, to chapter 11, 32, that is the end of the chapter we heard read today, has been Moses reflecting on Israel's history warning of the dangers they might face in the land, encouraging Israel 
to trust the Lord to give them this land, recalling their relationship with the Lord and exhorting them to be wholeheartedly committed to the Lord their God. Now that will change at chapter 12, verse 1. From chapter 12, verse 1, Moses starts to give them the specific instructions and commands that he's foreshadowed in the first half, the statutes and rules that will govern their life in the land, detailed instructions about worship, agriculture, administration of justice, much more. So our passage is the climax of Moses' introduction, focusing on the land that will become the context of their obedience and on the need in the land to keep loving God, or that will be their peace, prosperity and their life. So Moses is giving them reasons to give themselves wholeheartedly to that love of God and to persevere in it always. But loving God's not a new idea in Deuteronomy. In this part of the speech, Moses is picking up on themes he's already introduced, building on what he's already taught. Moses started this second speech where his first speech had ended. God's appearance to Israel at Mount Sinai and his entering into a covenant with them there. He starts there to emphasise what is his point throughout chapters 5 to 11, that Israel has a relationship with the Lord their God because of the Lord's grace and mercy and electing love emphasising that the love that he is calling for from them is in response to the Lord's love already given. That grace is seen from the very beginning as he recalls their rescue from Egypt. It was all the Lord's doing. He brought them out. And that grace was experienced at Sinai where they heard the Lord, the holy, almighty God of all the earth, actually speak to them directly, and yet they lived. And at Sinai, the Lord had graciously entered into a covenant relationship with them. That is, the living God, the creator of all the earth, had actually committed himself to Israel to be their God and to have them as his people, their special, his special possession. And throughout chapters 5 to 11, Moses had continued to reflect on God's grace to them, teaching them that, that wilderness wandering was actually God's loving preparation of them to live in the land. He's treating them as a father treats his children, equipping them to experience blessing. And Moses especially brought home God's grace and mercy to them in these chapters by reminding them of their failures. As we saw last week in chapters 9 and 10, failures that deserve their destruction like worshipping the golden calf. Despite those failures, they lived and were now here on the border of the land. It was all grace. Moses has been very explicit. Not their numbers, chapter 7. Not their power, chapter 8. Not their righteousness, chapter 9. They had a relationship with the Lord because of the Lord's choice, because of his freely given love and his faithfulness to his freely given promise to their fathers. Moses is explicit, say Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you 
and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Moses has repeated that note of God's mercy and faithfulness to his promises to their fathers over and over again. Another example, say Deuteronomy 10. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that's in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as at this day. The cumulative effect of Moses' speech thus far has been to highlight God's grace and mercy, his electing freely given love as the cause of Israel's presence here on the border and their hope of possession of the land. You see, Moses is saying to the Israelites, you are here because God got you here and the Lord got you here because he loved you, freely. And Moses has made clear also in these chapters that there's only one fit response to that gracious love, the love that's redeemed and forgiven and persevered and trained. After the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, he'd actually summarised Israel's covenant commitment to the Lord their God in chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. Only that wholehearted response of love that engages will, emotions, mind and body, the love that gives itself to be wholly loyal to the Lord their God, the love that is seen in doing the Lord's will, his commands as people living under his rule, only that love of the Lord their God is the fit response to his electing gracious love. And from chapter 6, verse 4 on, loving the Lord their God has become a summary way of speaking of all that the Lord looks for from his people, however it's described, and it is. that Our response to the Lord is variously described. Fearing the Lord, serving the Lord, walking in his ways, keeping his commands. All this is included in loving the Lord their God. So here, Deuteronomy 11, at this key point of transition in their lives as they look to enter the land of promise, at this key point of transition in Moses' speech as he's about to move on to tell Israel how they must live in the land, summarising much of what he's already said and looking forward to the land, the fulfilment of the promise, Moses focuses Israel and us on loving the Lord on both the reasons and the need for such love to live as the Lord's people in the Lord's presence. But this called for love, as we hear it being asked for again and again, is responsive love. It's the love of those who have been first loved by God freely, savingly, generously, patiently. It's the love of those who know God's forgiving and steadfast love for themselves. And that is why Deuteronomy 11 is so helpful to us as believers in Jesus, for it speaks to us as people who know for ourselves such a love. That's true, isn't it? This is what is at the heart of being a believer in Jesus, knowing that we have been freely 
generously, undeservedly loved by the Lord our God, Father, Son and Spirit, in the giving of the Son for us while we were sinners. Rebels against our God, people who were ignoring him and disobeying him. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for that, died for us. And we don't know this love as a kind of collective love alone, do we? Every believer knows that love for themselves individually. Every one of us can say, as Paul did in Galatians 2, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, loved me, and gave himself for me. To be a believer is to know that you have been graciously and deservedly loved with a love without measure. More, it's this love that God's Spirit assures us of as he pours it into our hearts. And Paul tells us in Ephesians that this is a love that is ours in Christ from the foundation of the world, a love that through the Spirit gives us new life and new heart to love God. So Deuteronomy 11 speaks to us as those who have come to know and trust in Christ in believing his gospel that he's died for our sins, that we are loved. And we also know, don't we, as believers, that we have in turn been called to respond to that saving love by loving our God, loving the Lord, Father, Son and Spirit in loving Christ. Jesus expects that love. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Jesus expects the love that obeys. And he expects to be loved above all. Matthew 10, it's not there. But whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus expects to be the one who is loved with all our heart, mind, soul and strength as he deserves. Do you remember the one question our Lord asks of Peter as he restores him? Do you love me? Jesus expects to be loved by his people with the love that obeys. And of course, as we heard, uh, that is what the apostles also look for. This is love of God, that we keep his commandments. Christians are lovers of the living God, the Lord, by loving his Son, our Lord Jesus, a love that, like Israel's, shows itself in doing his will, obeying his commands. And how could it be otherwise? Obedience must be at the heart of our love for Jesus, for to disobey to not listen and do is to repudiate Jesus' claim to be Lord. It is to deny the truth of what Jesus has said of himself. And you cannot love wholeheartedly with the love that entrusts itself into the arms of the beloved if you think they are a liar. To love Jesus is to obey his commands. But sometimes loving can be tough and we can be forgetful, distracted, it takes attention, diligence, effort to love, doesn't it? Every one of us who is married has had to learn that. 
to sustain love and not to let it grow cold and stale needs attention and effort. So how does Moses, how does our God encourage Israel and us to keep on responding with love to his love, to respond with the love that he calls for, the love that willingly and diligently engages with doing what God says, what our God commands? Well, firstly, Moses calls them to love, encourages them to love, <laughs> because by letting them know what it has taken to get them to the border of the land. That is, he calls them to love because they know what it's taken the Lord to get them to the border of the land. Now Moses has often recalled the Lord's dealings with Israel in his speech thus far. But there are some new elements here in verse 2 following. There's a, a focus on his present here as verse 2. I am not speaking to your children. He's actually telling them there is no wriggle room. Don't think that I'm now talking to someone else, somebody who's not here at the time. I am speaking to you. I am calling you for present response, he says. Response today. Consider today, he says. And then he highlights those events particularly appropriate for their coming conquest of the land. So verses 3 and 4, he highlights the Lord's ability to defeat mighty kings and destroy mighty armies as seen in his treatment of Egypt. Verse 5, he highlights the Lord's care and commitment, the discipline of the Lord in the wilderness where he prepared them to live in the land. And verse 6, he highlights the Lord's judgment on a particular rebellion. Uh, that of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, recorded in Numbers 16. Now, that judgment was not only terrifying as the earth opened up and swallowed them, that was a judgment that reinforced Moses' authority as bringing the word of the Lord, an authority Israel have to accept if they are to live loving the Lord in the land by keeping the decrees and statutes of the Lord that Moses is about to teach them. So he says to Israel, love, because you have seen the great work of the Lord in judgment on Egypt and salvation that has brought you to this point and prepared you to occupy the land. And that's true for us too, isn't it? Every one of us should love because every believer has seen, knows the great work of the Lord in salvation and judgment that has brought us to be the Lord's people. You see, the cross that saves us is a great work of judgment and salvation. Judgment on sin in the death of Jesus, God's Son for sin. Oh, salvation in liberating us through that death from death and judgment. If you're a believer, know that is what it has taken to get you here in relationship with the Father, belonging to his family with a share in the inheritance of God's people. Know that and love your God. But each of us should also consider God's individual work in our lives to get each of us here, even this morning. God's saying, consider you today what it took to get you 
here, meeting with God's people today, listening to his word, knowing his forgiveness. Consider the Lord's patient, personal dealing with you. Consider how he brought you to hear the gospel. Maybe that was through your parents or through your friend or through people you met at uni, but that was his work. Or consider how perhaps he's disciplined you. You know, those disappointments, those trials that have kept you turning to him. Or consider how in a world of unbelief he has given you conviction of the truth of his word. Consider what he has done in love to get you here and love him for all the great work he has brought you to know for yourself. And secondly, love the Lord your God by obeying his commands because you know the goodness of the Lord's promise. For Israel, that was seen in the goodness of the land they are about to go over and possess. Verse 10, the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Now Moses stresses to them how different this land they're about to enter is to Egypt. Egypt was just hard work, all dependent on their labour, manual irrigation. But this land is watered by the Lord. It's, it's a land he cares for all year round. His attention and his power and his power to bless it are not intermittent. They're constant. And this land, he says, will satisfy all their needs, verse 14. It'll give them grain and wine and oil, grass for their livestock, so that they will be able to eat, verse 15, and be full. Love him, says Moses to the Israelites, because you know the goodness of his promise. Further, you know that loving him in the way God commands, is the means given of enjoying what is promised. If you will indeed obey, verse 13, he will give. Oh, and verse 16, take care lest your heart be deceived. What is promised yields its fullness to the obedience of love. For Israel, how they responded to his love determined whether they enjoyed the blessing of relationship, continued in relationship. Loving the Lord was their life and God's gift in love of the land became the context for their obedience. In fact, the land became a barometer of their obedience. Now, as believers in Jesus, we have a promise, don't we? A great and wonderful promise. And what is promised is so different from what we know in this life, so different that it can only be spoken of in negatives. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And in Jesus' resurrection, we know that this promise is sure. We should love, persevere in love because we know the goodness of what our Lord has promised us. 
Yet the blessing of trusting Jesus is not all future for us. We've started to experience even now some of the goodness of salvation in Jesus, haven't we? Already now we're forgiven. Already now we can come with confidence to the living God as our Father. Already we have the Spirit. Already we have a present possession of part of what was promised to Israel at the end. And these gifts given in love now become the context of our, of, the, of our obedience of love. Whether we walk by the Spirit or not, whether we pray unceasingly, live dependent on our God or not, whether we share the forgiveness we've received, forgiving others as we've been forgiven or not, whether we rejoice and join in being part of his people or not. God in his gracious love calls us to know the fullness of his love now by responding to his love with the love that obeys. It's important. God in his gracious love calls us to know the fullness of his love by responding now to his love with our love that obeys. It's true. Your experience of your God's love, your enjoyment of relationship with him depends on how you use the gifts of his love. Whether you give yourself to doing what he says and in turn those gifts become the barometer, the measure of the reality of our love. So if you're a believer, do you want to know more of your God's love? will use his gifts of love as he commands. Be diligent in prayer. Pursue the character the Spirit nurtures in us. Don't be content with disobedience, with lovelessness, unkindness, ingratitude, impatience. Pursue the character his Spirit nurtures in us. Practice relationships of grace, forbearing and forgiving and yes, join in meeting with his people and hearing his word. Do you feel estranged, adrift today in your Christian life? Well, turn to and not away from the Lord. Turn to loving your God in the way he commands, obeying his will. <laughs> obeying his will, that is the means given of enjoying what he's promised, enjoying what is given to us. And above all, it's the means of enjoying relationship with our God, our Heavenly Father. And we love, says Moses, by treasuring the word. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Verses 18 to 21 are an almost word-for-word -word repeat of what Moses has already said at Deuteronomy 6, where he first called Israel to love with all their heart, soul and strength. God calls us to love him by doing his will, by believing and obeying his word. If we are to love in response to his love, if we're to know his goodness, enjoy the blessing of being loved by God, then we must know his will revealed in his word. His word is the source of the life of love 
and should be treasured as such by us if we're to be what we're called to be, serious lovers of the living God. His word knows that not the various experiences we might have as Christians. Don't look to them for assurance of your love of God or how to love God. It is his word. And here, God's word calls us to develop a pattern of life where we are always conscious of his word, where all our engagement with the world, what our hands do, what our eyes see, is done in the context of a commitment to love God, a commitment to his will. And that word, verse 19, is the means of sharing relationship, of sharing love with others, especially those entrusted to our care and nurture our children. And Moses speaks of, verse 18, these words of mine. Well, that's all that Moses has taught and will teach, and of course that should be taught. But even more important are the gospel words, the words that fulfil the word of Moses, the words that Jesus said spoke of him. Knowing that gospel word, the word of Jesus, not as a dead word on a page, but as a living word, understood, believed, treasure in your heart is how you can walk in love. And that will take effort, disciplined effort, time spent in reflection. You don't come to know the word by putting it under your pillow before you go to sleep. right? You actually have to read it and think about it. It takes time. But lovers give time to the one they love. They delight to spend time with the one they love. And we should give that time, for not only is love the means of enjoying the blessing of relationship in the land for Israel, it is also the way for them to secure the land of promise. If you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. Word-informed love is the way to grasp, to secure fear-free our inheritance. Jesus has already won the victory for us. Yes, that's true. He's triumphed over sin and death. But how do we come to share in it? Well, believing the word holding fast to the word and doing the word. You see, to believe is under trial. God says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commands of God and their faith in Jesus. To all, Jesus says that the wise man who builds for eternity is the one who listens to him, that is, knows his word and does it. And Moses then reminds them, that to live in relationship with the Lord is to choose to love every day, to choose to listen and do every day. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Notice today. Today there is the blessing. Today there is the curse. Today you can love by doing or today you can be estranged by not doing and giving your love to another. Each day there is always 
the choice. And God makes provision, enlarged on in Deuteronomy 27 and finally fulfilled in Joshua 8, to enable them to remember that possession of the land, possession of the promise, the enjoyment of relationship is through choosing blessing every day. On entering the land, six tribes are to stand on Mount Gerizim and six on Mount Ebal, and we can worry about the geography when we get to chapter 27. You know, it's just enough to know that on entering the land, they're to do that, to repeat the blessing and curses of the Lord. Now, that repetition of the blessing and the curse at the commencement of Israel's possession of the land is to remind them that their title deed to the land is given in the context of continuing covenant relationship with the Lord whose land it is. It's to remind them that to live in God's presence, in God's place, is for his people, those who love him. And there's also a reminder in those instructions that at the foundation of their possession of the land is not their righteousness, but the Lord's faithfulness to his gracious promise. See that end of verse 30, beside the oak of Morrow. The oak of Morrow only has one other reference, and it's Genesis 12. It was at the oak of Morrow that Abram first stopped on his entry into Canaan and built an altar. And there, 12 verse 7, the Lord promised him the land. To your offspring I will give this land. A reminder that the foundation of their possession is not their obedience, but the promise of God to their forefathers and the Lord's faithfulness and steadfast love in keeping that promise. Today, we as believers in Jesus have great promises. Sure promises is the ground of our relationship with God in Christ. But the today is true for us. Each day we have to choose love, to love our Lord and live for him by doing his will. That's right. Our Lord calls us when he calls us to himself to deny ourselves and to take up our cross, Luke 9, daily. And Hebrews tells us to exhort, encourage one another daily so that none of us would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. None of us would turn away from loving God to loving other people or things in place of the Lord. To love is to every day give yourself to the one who has loved you by actively seeking to please him by doing what he says. To give yourself to love and to serve him exclusively. Now, where Israel failed, and they did fail, they chose the curse, not blessing. In Christ, we are called to succeed, to love our God, the Lord, Father, Son and Spirit, to love because we know what it's taken to get us here, to make us God's people, the death of our Lord Jesus, to love because we know the goodness of his promise and have already started to enjoy some of what has been promised, to love by treasuring the word, the gospel word that calls us to repentance and faith in the crucified and risen Jesus, to love because we know that to love our God is the means of enjoying our relationship with our God and the means of coming to possess what he has promised us.
And we are called to this love, the love that would leave everything to follow Jesus, leave everything to trust him by doing what he says. We are called to this love every day. So believer in Jesus, do you think of yourself as a lover, a lover of Jesus? Because to love God now is to love his son. Are you passionate to please him? to love him by keeping his commands because you have entrusted yourself to him. Is his word on your heart and then expressed in your actions and known in all your engagement with the world? When you think of yourself, is that how you think of yourself above all? As someone who loves God in Christ because you know you have been loved by the living God in Christ. To love God as he calls for is our life. So give yourself to that love and you'll enjoy the relationship with your God more. It will delight you more. And you'll know more of its richness and your confidence in the Saviour who loves you will grow. Resolve to be a serious and determined lover of your God Father, Son and Spirit, every day, every day by treasuring his word, every day by giving thanks for his love and every day trusting his love, employing the gifts that he has given you in his love to do his good will to his glory. Let's pray. We pray in your mercy that you would take our hard hearts and move them to love you with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. We pray that you would overcome our laziness to make us zealous to love the Lord Jesus by doing his will. We pray that you would focus our so easily distracted minds on what you have promised us, that great good you have stored up for us, and what you have even now given us. And in your mercy, help us to employ the good gifts of your love to us in the way you command, to treasure up your gospel word in our hearts, to give ourselves to the work of your spirit in our lives, changing us, to live lives of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control, to draw near to you constantly, to meet with your people, to rejoice in all your goodness. Gracious God, as you have loved us in the death of your Son, continue your love to us and move us to love you. Amen.